electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Dan Nathan, Pete Najarian, and Jeff Mills. Tonight on Fast, we're tracking the after-hours action. Peloton, Square, and Beyond Meat, all three stocks on the move after reporting results. Their calls are just getting underway. We're dialed in. We'll bring you any stock-moving headlines. Plus, patent problems. The vaccine makers under pressure once again today. What should you do if you own these names? And later, live from New York. Live from New York, I should say. Live from New York, it's Elon Musk. I'll never host SNL. The Tesla CEO spotted on the streets of the Big Apple as he gears up for this weekend's SNL appearance. What he said to the cameras that really got our attention. But we start off with the great tug of war in tech. On the one side, the recent high flyers are crashing back to earth today. Just check out these moves. Fastly, Etsy, Twilio, DraftKings all plunging. Those names now down at least 30% from their all-time highs. On the other side, the old-school value names, Cisco, IBM, Dell, Oracle, not just up today, but many are trading at or near all-time highs. So in this tech tug-of-war, what side do you bet on, Dan? Well, right now, it seems pretty clear. I mean, the pandemic winners, right, some of these high valuation, high growth names that were really well situated during just the the unique situation during the pandemic, they pulled forward a lot of demand here. And now they're faced with decelerating metrics going forward on all sorts of occasions. You have Fastly down there. Fastly was down 25% today. Um, It still trades at about 10 times next year sales. So, you know, the demand and, and the pace in which these companies were growing in you know last year and into this year are just not sustainable at these valuations. I throw a whole nother group though in there, Mel. We've seen some huge IPOs over the last six or, uh, months or so. Airbnb, DoorDash, Snowflake, Palantir, and those stocks are all down 30, mm-hmm. 40% from their recent highs. And they may be more comparable to the Oracle, the Dell, the IBM, and the Cisco. Um, and I do think that is a really interesting relationship here that you're seeing rotation out of these high valuation names into cheap names that are more stable that don't have the growth they're just a bit more defensive here yeah it, this despite 10-year yields absolutely behaving i mean where were we today 1.56 percent jeff rates are not scaring people out of the high value tech names it is something else entirely at this point yeah so that's that's the interesting thing i mean i think if you look at tech across the board. I mean, I would favor the more value-oriented areas, but you have a Fed that continues to be very dovish. You have rates that haven't really moved. You've had very strong earnings, at least in the case of FANG, and the stocks really haven't behaved all that well. So that doesn't make me feel particularly good. But I do think that the market is at least sniffing out affirming in yield. So you've held that support in the low 150s. You have the copper versus gold ratio increasing continued weakness in staples, firm European yields if you look at German Boone. So all of those things are telling me that rates are going to start moving higher again. And perhaps this time the equity markets are outsmarting the bond markets. I know it's blasphemy to say that, but perhaps that's what you're seeing this time around. And I'll just end by saying that the the real rotation is, is not necessarily between growth and value. 
but it's in the fundamentals. So growth isn't working within growth. Mm -hmm. The growthier areas of value aren't working. It's really the factors that are EPS growth, EPS surprises. That's the area of the market where I think you want to be for the foreseeable future. Okay, so let's say that, you know, as much as you love sock puppets, Guy, you don't want to be in an Etsy in this environment. You just don't. You don't want to be in a Fastly. But is the answer to be an IBM? I mean, is that is that really the trade that we're, we're looking at at this point, do you think? There are other alternatives. Before we go there, you know, I read on the Internet, apparently, that David Faber is going to be hosting the Jeopardy, Jeopardy for a week, which mm. is... Re- which is remarkable. Good for him. And I know for a fact that there was a window of opportunity for you to host Saturday Night Live. But with that read at the beginning of the show, Live from New York, you blew it. I'm out. You're, totally out. You're out. I'm out. You're it's out. too bad. You're it, was my, 5, it was my lifelong I mean, dream, and it's dashed. It's yeah. gone. Out the window. I'm going to have to think of something else. <laughs> yes, you should. Stick with Fast Money. It's worked it's for the last you know, 12 and a half years. No, listen. <laughs> I don't think that's the alternative, but I do think this is a really good sign. The fact that some of the froth is coming out, it's like when you drink those cappuccinos at Starbucks. You know, three quarters of it is all that foam and stuff, but it's it's fugazi. The essence of it is the coffee beneath, and the essence of this market are the stocks you just talked about, Oracle, Cisco, yeah, maybe even IBM. I think this is actually a really good sign that the froth is coming out and the market's finding value in names that actually have fundamentals, and mm-hmm. have a reasonable valuation. So I look at all this and say this is a very good thing. We have um, played many games on this, uh, on this show over the years. One is sure value, value trade or value trap. And so I will, I will embark on that one before we play the next game in a couple minutes, Pete. And that is when you take a look at some of these stocks, yeah. like, for instance, and IB- I mean, I'm picking on IBM because we talk about IBM often. Is that a value trade or value trap at this point? I mean, the valuation, the forward P.E. looks decent. You know, just if you just look at an absolute number, 13.6, it's up 18 percent so far this year. But but is that going to is is that going to do you well in your portfolio? Well, I I do happen to think it will, Mel. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, I own this stock. I've owned this stock for quite a few years. And. You know, the thing that people forget about IBM is, yes, I, I totally understand. The stock has kind of gone a lot of nowhere, right? But I do like what has changed in terms of the upper management positions. I thought that was something that needed to be changed years ago. They finally did it, and they made that move, and Whitehurst and the gang kind of have taken over. And now it's a story more about Red Hat than it is almost anything else, which was the acquisition IBM made, which was a monster. And I, I think they are going finally in the right direction. But all that being said, I think it still always comes down to fundamentals. And we talk about that all the time, Mel. We're, we're always talking about PEs and so forth. When we talk about those names, and I was listening to Dan when he, when he opened up, and he's 100% right on this, when, when we start to look at these names and we're, we're measuring them against sales rather than earnings, I think that says a lot about what these stocks really are. So not only have they pulled ahead, but these are stocks that were, they were in the perfect spot at the perfect time. It was a perfect storm, and, and that's all great. But going forward, now what? And, and is there still enough room? Do they have what it takes to actually become real stocks that have real earnings, or are they just going to burn through their cash? And so I look at all those high-flying names that we were talking about at the very beginning, and, you know, the fast leads and everything else, and I go back to the fundamental story of what we look at when we look at a lot of these stocks. Do they have great management? Do they have great fundamentals? And do they have some form of growth, at least now or, or somewhere in the future? And I think all of these old-school tech names have been learning over the years, and you can see most of the names that you guys were talking about, mm-hmm. they've all added somewhere it seems to be in the cloud and i think that's huge for for the direction of where everything is moving right now 
Uh, among the high-flying tech names that have faltered, we named also DraftKings and Penn National. Jeff Mills, you, you were, you've been interested in these stocks, so down 30% from highs. Do they still look good, or do you say, you know what, we're going to go back to, to the fundamentals because, you know, maybe 30% ago you, you, you kind of like this sector? Yeah, you know, I think at least in this environment right now, those kind of valuations are going to be out of favor. And it doesn't mean that those aren't good companies or good stocks for the long term. You know, I still believe very much so in the secular tailwinds associated with, with online gaming and things of that nature. And I know, you know, Penn reported today and, and it's down big. And I think you have to start to, at least in the near term, try to rationalize the valuations in terms of what's possible say, over the next couple of quarters, because things have gotten ahead of themselves a little bit. When you think about a pen and the valuation that was bestowed upon it because of its, its partnership with Barstool, you know, is 45 times forward versus an MGM who's doing a lot of similar things at 31 times forward, you know, does that gap, uh, does Barstool really make up that gap? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, and I think it's going to take time for these stocks to catch up to their valuation. So short term, I do think it could be problematic. But Longer term, I do think there, there are a lot of tailwinds for those businesses that will ultimately help drive the share prices higher. There was a convoluted metaphor put forth before about froth, and the essence is the coffee underneath, and the froth being fugazi, and it's being, you know, it's three-quarters of the cup, all that. So, Dan, when you take a look at the S&P 500, about 17 points off of record highs here, but we do have a lot of that froth come out, whether you measure it by IPOs, SPACs, software names, or some of the other uh, high-valuation tech names. Is this actually a very good sign for the S&P. Well, it is on a relative basis. So what's happening here, and I can't remember the last time I've seen the S&P up nearly 2x that of the NASDAQ. And that really shows that the S&P is up almost 12% on the year. And the uh, NASDAQ's up a little less than 6%. And it shows you that there's plenty of names correcting. But Guy brought this up, you know, the mega cap names that, you know, Apple and Amazon make up $4 trillion of market cap. They're the two or two of the largest names in the S&P, obviously, and the NASDAQ also. And they're in a whole pattern. They are going sideways here. And the question you have to ask yourself is what is the incremental buyer paying for? Because we know that even their valuations are very high. So you have an S&P that's up 12%. It seems to be baking in a lot of the news about rates where they are, about QE where they are, about second half growth, that sort of thing. And so to me, I actually would lean a little bit more on the fact that you're seeing all this exuberance come out of these high valuation names. Mm -hmm. I suspect there's something coming for the broad market and the not so distant future here. And it could be re related to crypto, too. If you think about the crypto ecosystem that's gone from a half a trillion dollars, let's say 13, 14 months ago to 2.3 or 2.4, mm -hmm. you know, at some point very soon, we're going to see how correlated risk assets like stocks or high valuation stocks are with the crypto markets here, too. And I'd hate to see all these things go down together in the same way. What's your take, Guy, on the implications for the broader markets? First of all, I take umbrage with the convoluted thing. I don't know how to spell umbrage, but I take it, number one. Number two, I actually do think it's a good sign for the broader market. You know, the fact that we can pass a baton from some of these high flyers to some more stable names with reasonable valuations without really a huge disruption in the broader market to me is encouraging. So I think it's a good thing. All right. So as old school value tech gains ground, we thought it might be the perfect time to play a little game of. Trade it or fade it. <laughs> I know. We kept you in suspense for a minute. Uh, that's right. Trade it or fade it. The value tech edition. We kick things off with, we were just talking about it, IBM, Big Blue. 
um, rallying more than 17 percent this year. So, Dan, trade it or fade it? Uh, I think you'll be surprised, Mel. I'd say fade it. Um, this is a very nice technical <laughs> breakout. Um, you know, Pete, I think the, the, the reasons why he's long, I think they make sense. I think that these legacy businesses will not be growing anytime soon. So you better get what you want out of their cloud business, the cognitive solutions. It trades at 13 times for a reason, especially after that big rally. They're not expected to get back to peak earnings from a few years ago for another few years here. So this is a sit and wait sort of thing. And I just think there's probably better places. I'll tell you this, Mel, I'd rather buy some of these names have gotten creamed over the last three to six months, these high growth names that I know will have a good future they're just not at the right valuation point. So I'd rather buy those on the way in rather than buying an IBM breaking out. We got Pete's take on IBM, which he likes. So, Guy, I want to get your take. I, I'm going to I'm going to trade IBM, you know, fast do that graphic, the the whatever trade it. What is it? Somebody <laughs> roll some sort trade of graphic it. for me because I like it here. I think finally <laughs> they're starting to see the 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 fruits of their labor with the red hat. Uh, acquisition. It's taken a while. And the stock, to Dan's point, seems to be breaking out to the upside. So I'm in the traded camp. All right. Next up, Dell is on the move, gaining 35 percent this year. So Mills, what's your take? Trade it or fade it? You know, I'm going to trade this one. I, I don't know that it's a pound the table trade. But again, I do think that this is generally the area of the market that you want to be, you know, whether you're talking about pure value or actually in technology. Um, so, I, you know, I like Dell. I think what they've done with the, the VMware spinoff actually helps the capital structure, maybe gives them the ability to actually raise some new capital there. I think the Apex services is interesting. You know, you still have 75 percent or so of business computing happening outside of the cloud. So this is the type of thing that allows companies to actually scale up or down with, without a huge CapEx outlay. So I think whether you're talking about that or hybrid cloud, those are areas of potential growth. And even though the stock is at an all-time high, the valuation is not at 12 times forward. So I think it's a reasonable entry point. Yeah, with that spinoff, they're able to pay down a lot of debt. Um, Pete, what's your take on Dell? You know, Dell's an interesting one, Mel, because it's had such an incredible run of late and then a little bit of a pullback. But I like this name. I think fundamentally they're very sound, and I think there is some upside here, so I'd be in the traded camp. All right, check out Oracle posting 20%, 20% gain this year. So, Dan, what would you do, trade it or fade it? Uh, you're going to be surprised again, Mel. I'm fading Oracle here. Um, it's at all-time highs. The stock has been um, clearly uh, in an upside here, but a little volatile. Um, they're not going to report for um, another month ago. I think there's a theme going on here that these are all value traps, you know, if you will, and depending upon the metrics in which you're looking. And, you know, Oracle over the last 20 years is a massive roll-up. You tell me what's the multi-billion dollar, maybe as high as $10 billion acquisition they're going to make next to keep this train rolling. And then I'll tell you whether to trade it or fade it again, because that's the only way this thing really grows. There's no real organic growth here. Jeff, what would you say? Dan makes a pretty compelling argument. I don't know. Can I change my answer? But uh, I, I do think I, I would probably trade it here. You know, I think that you're seeing good growth in the cloud business. So I think that's going to drive at least some multiple expansion from where we are today. We are heading into a better IT spend environment. So whether you're talking about their SaaS business or their infrastructure as a service business, I sort of buy the story there. And I was looking at the chart maybe a little bit differently in the sense that you were in this really well-defined channel for the better part of 10 years. You just broke out of that to the upside. So I think you could at least play the momentum here for the short term. All right. Lastly, Cisco up 17 percent in 2021. 
Pete, are you trading it or fading it? I'm trading it, Mel. I think this is a stock just because of the fact that it's already made a move doesn't mean it can't go even higher. When you look at the valuation levels, you look at free cash flow, you look at all the growth areas from security to WebEx, you look over at software. There's a lot of different reasons to like this name, I think, right now. It's made a move. I totally get it. But I think this is a stock that has a lot more room to the upside. So I'm going to trade it. Dan, by the way, um, you mentioned that you would rather buy some of the stocks that are crushed versus some of these value traps that we've been playing traded or faded with. So can you give us a specific name? Yeah. I, I mean, listen, here's Airbnb is a great example. OK, this is a company that loses money, but we know that it's massively disruptive and it's going to be around for a very long time. And we are in a specific market moment where investors just transitioned from private investors who've been on this train for 10 years. OK, and now the public market is valuing it a bit differently and a lot of their peers and that sort of thing. So it's going to find a place where it makes a lot of sense if you have a five, 10 year time horizon. So there's a lot of stories like that. I throw Coinbase on there. I traded as high as 420. It's below $300 right now. I don't know where it bottoms out, but at some point in the not so distant future, it's going to be a great long-term ad. So to me, I'd much rather focus on the disruption of the next 20 years than the companies that own the last 20 years. Guy, trade it or fade it, Airbnb and Coinbase. True. Trade Airbnb, Coinbase, I'll, I'll take a pass, but I think you yeah. trade Airbnb. I've heard Rick Heitzman wax poetic about Airbnb. Mm-hmm. I've heard Deirdre Bosa break it down as well, and it was picked in the stock draft a week or so ago. I think the sell-off is significant enough where you can own Airbnb at these levels. So I happen to be with Dan there, and although I didn't get the little cash register. Uh, you did. What do they call that thing, a sod or what, you whatever? I, I, which you, you upsets did. me. <laughs> I did? Yeah, you did. Oh. Take you our did. word. All right. Um, enough with the trader fader. By the way, the rotation out of high growth tech has taken a toll on Kathy Wood's very popular ARK Innovation ETF. She will be on the closing bell tomorrow to talk about this pullback and what she is investing in right now. You won't want to miss that. Up next, we've got an earnings alert on Peloton. The stock sinking after posting its latest quarterly results. We'll get you the numbers, plus vaccine makers falling out for the second day in a row as the White House considers waiving patent protections. Moderna CEO says he's not losing sleep over this news. But should he be? Investors are. We'll debate that when Fast Money returns. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Peloton. Shares are down 5% in the after hours of the call. Now underway. Let's get to Diana Olick with the very latest. Diana. Melissa, CEO John Foley opened the analyst call reiterating that the company made a mistake in not stopping the tread sales immediately at the CPSC's first request. He said we are working to build and introduce new safety measures and said they did postpone the launch of the lower price tread in the U.S., which was supposed to happen at the end of this month. He then said there would be a software safety update and also said there would be physical hardware to enhance the safety of tread plus. Now, once the lower price tread is upgraded, he said they would start sales again, but no timing on that. They will continue to produce tread content, though. While there will be a short-term financial impact, he said, we will continue to put our members first. Now, the company's Q3 earnings beat expectations across the board. Connected fitness subscriptions were up above the company's guidance, more than doubling year over year. Peloton reported significant improvements in wait times back to pre-COVID levels for bike deliveries. There was no guidance in the report, but they are likely discussing that now as the call goes on, and we'll bring you any updates as we see them. Back to you. Okay, Diana, thank Thank you, Diana Olick. We'll keep us posted on that guidance. And of course, there's a lot unknown here still to this story, including their guidance in terms of, uh, you know, what they anticipate that the hit will be, the financial impact, as well as how it'll uh, delay production of the newest product. Jeff Mills, where do you stand on a story like this where there's not a lot of clarity no, there isn't. And I think I think part of the problem with a story like this where there there is a lot of cloudiness around what's going on is just, you know, the valuation is still high. It, it's certainly a lot better at 130 times earnings than it was at 690 times earnings last fall. But for me, I still have to think that growth rates continue to come down a little bit. Gyms are reopening. Obviously, the Tread Plus thing is a nightmare. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think that home fitness is going anywhere. I think it's going to be a trend that continues for a very long time. But I do think that the reopening hurts a little bit. I think that there's a lot of competition out there. I think that hurts a little bit. And again, the stock is still very expensive. Yeah, Dan, you got one in the background. What I heard today was that a lot of people love their <laughs> treadmills and they are not going to send it back. They might move it to a different room and Peloton will help you move it to a different room if that's what you want to do. But they're not yeah. going to send the thing back. Well, it's funny, you know, a lot of people have tweeted at me since we've been doing this remote asking me why I have that behind my sofa in my living room. And part of it is I feel like I'm in a Peloton commercial. I'm like staring at the Empire State Building. I'm here in in Madison Square in New York. It's like a great run and it's a great device. Okay, so here's the problem. They have a PR issue. If they had come out and really met this thing head on, they probably wouldn't have had to do the recall in the way in the manner in which they're doing. So, you know, at less than 10 percent of their sales, I think the optimism really the upside scenario for this story was that new lower price uh, tread. We know that they're mm-hmm. trying to buy pre-core. There's going to be a lot of devices there. Um, listen, there's probably a price for this thing, but to what Mills just said, it got really expensive. It overshot to the upside. It's likely to overshoot to the downside a little bit. So I wouldn't say at 85 bucks or so it's a steal. Uh, I think it's trading below 80, um, but it really depends what your view is about, I think, home fitness going forward. These guys make great products. They have a great subscription product too um yeah there's a lot of hair on this one so to speak guy so how do you navigate it i mean in terms of the i mean the outlook for home fitness the valuation on the stock in a in a market which doesn't appreciate high valuation stocks a recall for which we don't understand the cost associated we don't understand the liabilities either there could be lawsuits yeah this is america there will be lawsuits what am i talking about yeah (laughs) 
No, and I don't. Yes, there there probably will be lawsuits, and we can we can argue whether they'll be frivolous or not. But there mm-hmm. will be lawsuits. I'll say this: quarterly revenue was one point two six billion dollars double a year ago. Um, connected fitness subscriptions up one hundred and thirty five percent year over year. Paid digital subscriptions up four hundred percent. I mean, these are staggering numbers. And the market's just taking its cues from what we're just talking about now, the fact that they're going to be lawsuits and stuff. By the way, I think you do have clarity in the form of the stock. I mean, look at the sell-off we've seen in these names. So I actually do think it's interesting right here, either side of 80 bucks. And I think this was a tremendous quarter when you just focus on the quarter itself. Pairing some of its losses at this point now down 4%. Pete, just quickly, your thoughts on Peloton. Yeah, I just consider it a really expensive hanger to clo- for your clothes later on in life. I mean, I, I honestly, I've thought that for a long time, Mel. No joking about it at all. I, everybody got so excited about it because they were trapped in their homes. As we reopen, as the vaccines get out there, I think you're going to see this, these numbers start to come back. And the, guy, the numbers that guy's talking about, they're absolutely correct. But those are year ago, right? So let's think about where we were a year ago in terms of pandemic. So I, th- I think we have to consider all of that and just think, what is the real number that these guys are going to be able to uh, gain over time? Are they going to continue, in other words, to grow against some of those much more difficult numbers that they put up when they really we were deeper into the pandemic and people were really shut down? So I look at this as a very expensive, very much like a lot of those other stay-at-home stocks that um, I don't know. I, that they're going to make money at some point in life. I just think it's a lot lower than it is right now. Uh, we've actually got some more news out of Peloton. It is now down less than 3%. Let's get to Diana Olick again. Diana. Yeah, on the earnings call, they were just saying that they are giving Q4 revenue guidance of $915 million. That is a $105 million impact. I would say, though, however, the tread sales for 2021, as reported by Cowan, were only supposed to be about 2% of revenue. The bikes are a much bigger revenue source, but they are reporting lower guidance of $915 million for Q4 revenue. Back to you. All right, Diana. Thank you, Diana Olick. Um, Really pairing its losses pretty much in half at this point. Um, Guy, and I think that's a good point in terms of the product mix. 2% of total revenue is not a whole lot, although this is a black eye reputationally, uh, as, as Dan and Jeff have mentioned. Well, that's exactly right. The headline risk is clear. I think Jeff and Pete make great points. I mean, I can absolutely uh, see what Pete is saying in terms of at a certain point, this is something you hang your clothes on. I think it's different. You know, I think people have learned and people are part of this community, and I think people enjoy it. Whether or not people join gyms or not, I don't think it's going to take away from the Peloton story. And I think at 80 bucks, uh, the risk reward is such that you can you can make that bet. Yeah. What a turnaround after hours. We're now down less than two percent on Peloton. We've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Vaccine smackdown. New fallout today as the White House backs waiving patent protection for the vaccine makers. What you should do if you own these names. Plus, Musk on the street. Elon Musk talking to cameras as he gears up for this weekend's SNL appearance. We'll tell you what he said about hosting the gig. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. 
Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the vaccine makers under pressure for the second day in a row after the White House says it backs waiving intellectual property rights for COVID-19 vaccine technology. Take a listen to what Moderna CEO Stefan Bonsell said about that on this morning's earnings call. We saw the news last night and uh, I didn't lose a minute of sleep over the news during the night. He didn't lose a minute of sleep over the news, but should investors? Let's bring in Oppenheimer senior healthcare analyst Hartaj Singh for more on that. Hartaj, great to have you with us. Let's let's oh, say you, let's say patent protection is in fact waived. What happens? What's the worst case scenario for a Moderna? Yeah, Melissa, we have to differentiate between what I call just the headline risk versus the risk to numbers, right? So the headline risk is real. It's been percolating since about October of last year when India started this uh, going. Um, you know, asking the WHO to intercede. Uh, and, and now a lot of the countries have jumped on that bandwagon. So that's the headline risk. In terms of numbers, um, you know, mRNA vaccines and mRNA products in general are basically the most cutting edge products being made in biotech and biopharma right now. It is literally the rocket science of biotechnology production. Um, so even if they sort of, you know, gave the blueprints, so to speak, and just put them out on the internet tomorrow, it would probably take, you know, at least a year, but more likely two to three years for any company, um, you know, in the world to assemble the team, the infrastructure, uh, the literally the hardware and the software to be able to make these. So I think we have to differentiate between the two things. The, the headline risk is real. Uh, risk to numbers, almost zero. So basically you're saying even if they did do that, they, they put it out on the inter- Internet, they would still have two to three years of sales of the COVID-19 vaccine ahead of them. Correct. Correct. And we've had other examples of this before. You know, Genentech in the 1990s got a lead in antibody production that lasted for a few years, you know, about three to four years, uh, both through intellectual uh, wherewithal and then also through just raw materials. They were able to get a supply chain going mm-hmm. that was difficult for people to overcome. So we've seen this before. Um, the same story is being played out in mRNA. Right? The efficacy of the vaccine, though, for, for a name like a Moderna was really a proof of concept moment for its platform, for its pipeline, basically, in which, um, it, you know, it, the, the pipeline is built on this mRNA platform. So if they do lose patent protection, does that impact at all um, the, the development of the pipeline? Does it jeopardize that at all? Does it, does it give others a peek into the, the secret sauce, so to speak? Um, you know, it could. And, and look, so people will catch up with them. You know, I mean, people caught up with the United States in rocket technology, you know, in the middle of the, the 20th century, right, after we had a lead for a couple of decades. Uh, people will catch up, but it just won't happen as quickly as, you know, uh, the street is thinking right now. Again, I've been to the manufacturing facility in Norwood a couple of years. I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years, you know, in biotech, and I was stunned at the robotics, the hardware, the software, the intellectual bandwidth that they have with the people there that they've hired and trained, uh, that'll be very difficult for almost any manufacturer all over the world to mimic. Uh, Pfizer and BioNTech could do it because Pfizer has a partner with BioNTech, um, you know, so they've got a good one-two punch. But I think just throwing the blueprints out on the internet are not going to be enough. All right, Hartaj, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for your insights. We appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Melissa. Hartar Singh, who, by the way, has a buy rating on Moderna, $206 price target. Best in class is what he calls this stock. By that logic, it should be a screaming buy here, Guy. Would you say it is? I do. And listen, I think the technicians out there, the Carter Worst, will get concerned that we traded up the 189 level, the prior high back in February, seemingly have failed. Obviously, this headlines didn't help. Nor did, by the way, their revenue number, although EPS was pretty good this morning. 
Uh, I like it. I think the real level to look at is 152, which is probably $7 or $8 from where we're trading now. That's a 50% correction of that recent low and then the highs that I just cited. But I, I'm, I'm with, listen, you heard what the CEO said. He's not losing any sleep over it. I don't think traders or investors should either. All right, coming up, shares of Square and Beyond Meat on the move in the after hours in the back of their earnings. Both the calls are underway. We'll break down the numbers, plus a rate warning sign why some traders are betting on big moves in the bond market as we gear up for tomorrow's jobs report. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a double earnings alert for you. Square and Beyond Meat, both on the move after reporting results. Full team coverage standing by to break down the numbers. Kate Rooney is digging in on Square. But we get first to Kate Rogers on Beyond. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Well, shares are falling with the call underway here. A wider than expected loss of 42 cents. That's nearly double what analysts were projecting. This is also the third quarter in a row that Beyond has actually reported a a wider than expected loss. Revenue missed this quarter as well. The company says it's continuing to invest in development and growth in the U.S., EU, and also in China. U.S. retail sales jumped by nearly 28% during the quarter, with grocery accounting for about three-quarters of total U.S. revenue. That's a number that's grown during the pandemic. Food service sales, though, in the U.S. fell 26% for two reasons. Restaurants are streamlining their menus, and traffic is also coming back a bit slower than expected. But CEO Ethan Brown said the company's seeing a slow thaw, what he called there, occurring in food service both domestically and internationally. No full-year guidance due to ongoing uncertainty with COVID, but for Q2, Beyond is forecasting revenue in the range of $135 million to $150 million. Analysts were projecting revenues of about $142.8 million for the quarter, so right in that range. Melissa, back over to you. Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers. Pete, what do you think is the issue here? There, there's a lot in that earnings report that investors would not like, but what do you think is primarily the reason why the stock is down right. 6% after hours? Well, I certainly think one of the reasons, Mel, could be just the level of competition that's really come about because, you know, in, initially it was beyond meat and very little other competition. Then it became impossible. Then it became Tyson. Then it became all kinds of other competition from bigger and badder folks out there. And I think that's definitely something that's making it a little bit more difficult as well. This is a stock now, Mel, that's actually hitting beneath the 52-week lows. So it's been on this path for a while, and there's still a very large short interest. And again, this is another one of these names that either it's a high multiple, no multiple type name. So, you know, I, I think that unless you absolutely can kill it on your earnings, you're probably going south. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here with Beyond Meat. They can't provide guidance with reasonable certainty, Jeff Mills. We've seen a lot of other companies now provide guidance for the year. Um, do you buy that? I mean, I don't, I don't really understand that. Well, but- I don't necessarily understand it either. And when you're afforded the valuation that a beyond is, then I think things have to be nearly perfect. And I think that's part of the problem. And, and part of the problem is also the fact that it's just getting caught up in this, this high growth, high multiple underperformance that I think we're going to continue to see for a while. And to me, the chart looks kind of rough here. You, you had a, a trading range for a while. That 115, 120 level was the lower end of that range. We're now trading below that, so that concerns me a little bit. The reopening is obviously going to help with with food services and things of that nature, but I've said this for a while about this company, and and I just question the total addressable market, and I don't know that we're going to see a true shift 
in the way people eat that ultimately justifies the price at which this stock is trading. Margins have also been under pressure for quite a while, so not for me here even after the pullback. All right, let's get to Square now. That stock is moving higher off earnings. Kate Rooney's got the latest there. Kate. Hey, Melissa, huge beat for Square in the quarter. That was thanks in large part to Bitcoin. Let's start with adjusted EPS, though. That was a beat by 25 cents. The monster revenue number, though, $5 billion, was mostly from crypto trading. Bitcoin revenue added $3.5 billion to Square's top line. That number, though, is a little bit misleading, guys. The more important one to watch for Square is gross profit for Bitcoin. That was $75 million in the quarter. So to put it in context, it was about 2% of that total Bitcoin revenue number. I did speak to CFO Amrita Ahuja right after the numbers came out. She explained that revenue for Bitcoin is essentially the volume of transactions done through Square. She did say gross profits, a little bit more helpful for uh, judging the growth there. That also was up 11x year over year. Apparently, though, that is how the SEC asks them to report crypto revenue. Some other highlights from the call that's underway right now, though. CEO Jack Dorsey talking about crypto driving a lot more engagement on Cash App. Cash App now makes up about half of Square's revenue. The seller business, the other half, is also showing some signs of recovery. But guys, a third ecosystem is being talked about on the call right now. Dorsey mentioning the title acquisition. That, of course, is Jay-Z's music streaming service. And Jay-Z also joined the Square board. That deal closed in the quarter. Dorsey's getting a ton of questions about how music streaming fits into the broader picture for Square. We'll bring you some more highlights, but a ton of questions about title. Melissa, back to you. Just so we can understand the Bitcoin part of it, um, Kate, because it does seem that that's where analysts sort of miss the mark by a big margin <laughs> in terms of their estimates. Yeah. Basically, this was helped, I would presume, by just sh- the sheer run-up in Bitcoin because the revenue number actually just sounds like the, the total assets of Bitcoin that were traded on the, on the app. That's exactly right. And it's similar to what you saw with Coinbase and other places in the quarter. Huge bull market for Bitcoin, a lot of trading going on. So therefore, the number for trading revenue for, uh, for Square was much higher than people expected, $3.5 billion out of $5 billion total. But that gross profit number in the context of the whole Bitcoin trading ecosystem was tiny. So Square yeah. even said, guys, really focus on gross profit here. That revenue number is a little bit misleading, but revenue beat by essentially $2 billion. So analysts were way off on that number. Yep. Kate, thank you. Thanks for clarifying. Kate Rooney. Um, so, Dana, I'll go to you. This really, I mean, I feel like this is sort of the, the Robin Hoodization of trading in terms of the downward pressure on trend. I mean, this is sort of like a loss leader for Square to have Bitcoin trading on their app. They're not making much money off of the actual trading, but it's sort of this notion that is creating a network in which people might use other parts of the app. Hey, listen, I buy that. I mean, that that has been Jack Dorsey's play the whole time with with crypto. And he calls it going to be the, the, the money of the Internet, you know. And so he built a company around that or he built a peer to peer payment system around that. And he made it easy for people to kind of on ramp into that crypto world. So I give him a lot of credit. But for those people who don't think that Bitcoin can be regulated, what did Kate Rooney just tell us? She told us that the SEC is telling them how to account for their 
Bitcoin trading volume. That looks like apples and oranges to me, folks. When I see a company that is expected to do $3.5 billion in revenue and they do five, mm -hmm. that stock should be up a lot more than it is right now. And you just said it, Mel. Well, that gross profit is only $75 million, which is basically a rounding error on it. So at some point, you know, the, the SEC and our regulators do have a lot of say on how a lot of our financial institutions are thinking about cryptocurrencies. And I just put that out there because there's a whole host of tape bombs that could come out from the SEC that might affect these stocks that are interacting with this crypto. Yeah, especially with the new chairman coming in. Coming up, we are counting down to tomorrow's jobs report. Wall Street's seen some big activity in the options pits ahead of that number. We'll break down the action. Plus, Musk takes Manhattan, the Tesla CEO, talking to cameras ahead of this weekend's SNL appearance. We'll tell you what he said that grabbed our attention. We've got all that and much more when Fast Money returns. Mr. Musk, I'm so excited for an SNL appearance. How do you feel about it? Uh, uh, good. What do you guys think I should do? What, do you, what are your thoughts? Doge. Oh, Doge. 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 Is Doge your number one choice? Yeah. 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 Elon. 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 Guys, guys, hold on. So, Elon, you're going to be doing a lot of Doge jokes or what? I will see. Elon Musk spotted on the streets in New York earlier this week as he gears up for this weekend's SNL appearance. The Tesla CEO getting ambushed by fans asking about... Well, Dogecoin, of course, Doge down today, but it is absolutely surging this week, surging this year, outperforming Bitcoin. So what is at stake as Musk goes live this Saturday night? And Guy, I don't know if you want to comment on Dogecoin, but Elon Musk doesn't necessarily have the greatest of track records when asked to speak extemporaneously and, and live, etc. No, and I know they do this live at, at midnight or whenever they do Saturday Night Live. And apparently I've never been on the show, but it, I guess people hang out there all day long. And, you know, I've read stories about people, you know, having a couple cocktails before the show. Before you know it, a couple turns into eight or nine and God only knows what could happen with him. So I think there's a huge amount of risk uh, for Elon Musk doing this. You know, I, I'm not that I'm him. I, I don't pretend to be, but I would be on my absolute best behavior despite what folks will be looking for. So I think there's a lot of risk for him hosting this this Saturday evening. I mean, he might even get in hot water with the SEC, depending on what he says live on the air, Jeff. I mean, I'm not. Do you want a CEO of a company that you own, particularly a company that has traded lower sharply after its latest earnings report to go on SNL? Yeah, I mean, probably not, right? But his history of bad behavior hasn't seemed to impact Tesla's stock price very much. So maybe for him, it doesn't matter. But I, I did want to pose just one question. And maybe it's because I don't understand this stuff enough. And I'm sure I'll get attacked on Twitter. But maybe people will give me some answers. So so if you have something like Dogecoin and it can be created and have real value, then, then what does that actually mean for Bitcoin? Because Bitcoin supply is limited, but now we're saying the supply of new cryptocurrencies is not. So what's the answer? It's either that Dogecoin is worthless or do we need to question the supply demand dynamics of crypto? That's what I'm not understanding about all of this. So I'm sure someone smarter than I am will, will point me in the right direction. But a curiosity I have for sure. I mean, I think a question also is, is Dogecoin really worthless when it has an almost $90 billion market cap? I mean, <laughs> at what point do you say it is what it is and it is worth something? Anyway, coming up, options traders betting big on the bond market ahead of tomorrow's jobs report. We'll tell you what has got them piling into the trade. But first, a message from CNBC contributor and New York Times reporter Ed Lee as CNBC celebrates Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. 
you always have to speak up. Uh, what does that mean? You know, if you're seeing an incident of racism, if you're seeing a slight, not just against yourself or other Asian Americans, but against any minority group, speaking out and having allyship with fellow people of color, I think is incredibly important uh, and necessary for the future. Major reversal in shares of Peloton in the after-hour session um, after its earnings uh, on its earnings call. It uh, outlined the revenue impact of the recall of the Tread and Tread Plus in the Q4. Uh, impact to revenue, $165 million. Impact on the full-year total revenue, um, it says it'll, it'll have be $4 billion versus prior guidance of $4.075 billion, which is hardly anything, Guy, really. I mean, it's almost like a rounding error. No, but it's, it's, you know, the question you have to ask, are you concerned with the headline risk, but is it manifested itself with the price being an $80 stock? See, I would think that $80, you have enough cushion where you can own this stock, and we'll see what happens over the next couple of days. By the way, huge volume day in Peloton today. I think you mm. flushed a lot of people out on the downside. Yeah, up 5% right now. Let's get your setup for tomorrow's trading day. We kick things off with the April jobs report. The street is looking for a print of 1 million non-farm payrolls. Let's bring in Mike Coe, who spotted some big action in the Treasury market ahead of the jobs number. Mike. Yeah, so I should probably give credit where it's due. What brought my attention to this was actually Edward Bolingbroke at Bloomberg, who flagged it on my terminal, and I managed to see some of the activity there. What we are looking at is the CME 133 and a quarter strike 10-year week two call options. So these are not something that we're typically talking about here, but if you're making bets on call options on treasuries going higher, you're obviously betting that rates are going to go lower. What we saw was four times the open interest trading today Ultimately, 32,500 contracts traded at an average price of about 14 cents. Now, these contracts are about 10 times larger than equity options contracts would normally be. So that multiplier here is 1,000. It's a big trade. And basically, they're making a very short-term bet that treasuries could go higher, rates could go lower. This could possibly be a risk-off hedge type of a trade. Hmm. Interesting. Mike, thank you. Mike Coe. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Trey, let's go around the horn. Dan Nathan. Yeah, I'm a seller of Wells Fargo here. Pete Najarian. I'm riding the energy trade, Marathon Oil Mill. Jeff Mills. I'm on energy too, EOG. It broke above last June's high. It's breaking out from recent consolidation. Think mm. it goes higher. And special dividend too. Guy Dami. Happy birthday, Tim Seymour. Letter C, Mel. Yep, HBD Tim. Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.